Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode number 10 of the Crushing It in Construction podcast. My name is Jordan Skinner. I am your host, and this week I had the pleasure of speaking with Susie Pascoe. Susie is the Group Managing Director of Sterling Infrastructure, and Sterling is a leading provider of asset management services to the transport infrastructure sector. Susie and her husband purchased the company when it only had six employees and started officially running the company in 2010. Since then, they've managed to grow the company to over 250 people and take it Australia-wide. In this episode, she shares her journey, how she got into the industry, and some of the challenges that they had to overcome along the way. One of the great things about Susie is she has an undeniable passion for the rail sector and after listening to her speak on this podcast, I think you'll actually start falling in love with rail as well. I know I did, but I think you're really going to to love this episode um, and enjoy what she has to say. So let's get into the show. G'day Susie, how's it going? Yeah, good thanks Jordan, how are you? Yeah, very well thanks. So thanks for coming on the show and I guess we start We'll start how we always start or how I always start, which is for everybody that's listening that doesn't know you yet, could you just tell us who you are and what it is you do? Uh, my name's Susie Pascoe and I'm the Group Managing Director of uh, Integrated Rail Business, uh, Sterling Infrastructure, uh, Activate Rail and Go Train Industry. So we deal in rail infrastructure and renewal. So Sterling Infrastructure does inspect, design and construct of aged infrastructure, particularly in rail. Activate Rail looks after project management, project support and labour hire into the rail um, project sector, and Go Train Trains is a registered training organisation training people into all of the facets of rail, so whether that's safe working or project management or indeed in construction. Okay, awesome. So how did you actually get into the industry? So in 2009, my husband and I were having lunch with my brother-in-law, who was working for a small infrastructure business called Sterling. It had six employees and he was working for the guy who'd founded it. And he was saying how the the guy who'd founded it wanted to move on. He wanted to retire and was looking to sell it. And so out of that lunch, my husband and I were driving home and thought, this sounds like a, a fun thing to do. We were both senior executives in multinationals and thought, maybe it's time to take a risk and, and have a go. So we bought that business off him at that time. And so we kicked off business um, under our ownership on the 4th of January, 2010. So were you guys working in the sort of infrastructure space before then, or was it completely new industry that you're walking into? No, it was a, it was a brand new industry for us. We had both come out of manufacturing and it's where we actually met. So we're both very practical folk. Um, I was a consultant by background. He's an engineer by background, but we both really liked working in that really seeing things, making things, touching things and seeing the world make a difference rather than the philosophical um, world of, of finance. And it was something that really appealed to both of us, both from the risk side of things, but also from the opportunity to to get into a business where we saw investment, we saw growth, we saw a country that really relied on its infrastructure. And we thought this sounded like something that we could we could really make a difference in and, and really take the skills that we'd both developed over 15 years and, and, and take that into a, an organisation of our own. So did you guys come from sort of um, entrepreneurial families or anything like that? Did you always think that at some point you wanted to start your own business or buy your business? I'd always wanted to turn a business. I come from a very entrepreneurial family. My I'm one of five kids and all of my brothers as well as myself um, have all run and led small businesses, have all taken risks into small businesses. And it certainly comes from my father, who was always a risk taker. 
My husband um, sort of has come a little bit on that journey. He comes from a family of manufacturers and so they've always been very much um, the, being the breadwinner, I guess. Their father, he was one of six boys and so the father was the breadwinner and so they were all very much raised in that idea and so to take a risk was unusual for his family but very normal in mine but it's made a really good partnership. Yeah, so when you and I were chatting a couple of weeks ago, um, I know you just said that you started or you bought the business, but mm -hmm. what was it that made you decide to buy instead of start from scratch? Uh, I mean, a lot of people that I speak to, they start from scratch, they buy Bobcat and just start on the side and, yeah. and they build it up from there. But what was it that made you guys buy in instead of start from scratch? We really liked the business as it was presented. Like as we looked at it, we just really liked it. I don't think I had always wanted to run a business, but I don't know that I had ever looked at starting one up because I didn't ever have a burning passion for an idea. I, you know, I didn't have a bobcat. I didn't, you know, it was always going to be to try and understand how I could could grow something. And this just looked like in exactly the right opportunity in a in an environment that was growing um, with skills that both Ryan and I could could bring to the table to really grow something really special. Yeah. So what was it that you were looking for when you were looking at the business? Was there something that um, sort of jumped out at you that, that you thought, yeah, we can really build on, on top of this? Yeah, it was, it had embedded relationships for one main client. So it, it worked. Uh, Sterling, when we purchased it, was almost all the revenue came out of Metro Trains in Melbourne or as it was at that point before it became Metro Trains. It did inspections. So it had a base level of income. So when you've got your base load of income, you know that you've got repeatable income that's going to pay your bills. Um, it had opportunity for growth and it was in an environment that was just really interesting. And so being able to buy into that and to say, look, there's opportunities for both of us to use our skills and, and grow this was, was really something that was appealing and, and kind of fun, you know, because we were both at a point where we kind of went, well, you know, if it all goes belly up, We'll just go and get another job again and, and pay back our bills. And if you're going to take a risk, it's the point, I guess, where you're going to take it. We had a, we had a young family and we just thought, let's, let's take it out for a spin and, and see where we go. Yeah. So I suppose you and I were chatting offline before and you were, you were talking to me about how what you do is really specialised. How did you guys go about trying to get up to speed with everything that you needed to learn, everything that you needed to know about actually doing the job and I suppose it would have been a big baptism of fire, one taken over the business, two trying to understand how to actually do the work. Yeah. Look, I, I think there's a couple of things in that. The first is there's a lot of learning. You know, there's a lot of nights where I learn about bending moments and shear force on bridges. There's a lot of my, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an engineer, so I had to, I didn't know enough to be a little bit dangerous. But at the end of the day, I don't design and I don't build and I don't inspect. I look after the business that does all that. I'm the one that try and holds it all together. Ryan, my husband, and both of us have spent a lot of time on track where you just walk track with the experts. You just walk up and down that track and you look at bridge after bridge after bridge and you look at culverts and you understand where risk ex exists and you understand the unique environment of rail and why those structures exist. The, the rail infrastructure around Australia, in Melbourne, um, specifically where we grew the business, but as we've gone national, it's, it's the same across the country, which is it's old. Most of our rail infrastructure is old. It's been around and was built 100 years ago. 70% of the bridges across rail are over 50 years old. And, and if you take that further, 50% are nearly 100 years old. So when you look at those kind of statistics, it's the management of those structures in that environment is being able to understand how they behave and how do you do it. You can't just divert rail. 
So you've actually got to work out how do you best manage and elongate the life of that asset for the rail operator so that commuters can keep on track. So, yeah, yeah, it's been interesting. We learned a lot. We learned a lot. We got our hands really, really dirty. We wore a lot of high-vis and we employed experts. We employed a lot of experts and we employed people who were passionate and we always employed based on relationships, character first. We can teach people anything, but knowing the people and trusting the people is the most important thing. Well, one thing I've picked up from you is even though it maybe wasn't something you started out to do, you're, you're very passionate about rail, which is awesome to see. And I'm, I'm sure that's going to rub <laughs> off on the people people that you employ, do you think? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, we, we hire people who are passionate about what they do and they love it and they will work hard and they play hard. We have a really good environment. Our Activate Rail business is full of guys who just love rail. Our engineers get enthusiastic. Some of them come in thinking, Particularly our graduates will come in thinking, no, 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 I want to design the next new, brand new sexy concrete bridge or the on-ramp of a road bridge. And after they've stuck with us for a couple of years, they realise that actually there's so much fun in in taking an old bridge and working it out. It's like renovating a, a beautiful old house rather than building a, a brand new one. It's the it's, it's got character. It's got character and it's got history and it's got emotion and you're dealing in it all, you know, you're dealing with something where the... The regional town loves that bridge. They love that station. They love that which brings them and makes them them. And rail does that to people. It makes you really emotional. And there's, you know, you don't get a lot of road spotters, but you get a lot of train spotters. Yeah, that's true. I've never thought of that before. <laughs> but so I suppose once you took over the business, what were some of the biggest challenges that, that you had other than working with, with your husband, which is what you told me last time? Well, absolutely. Working with my husband and brother-in-law was has always been a challenge and... I don't think anyone would doubt that there are days where you bring home to work and work to home, and that's never a good thing. Um, you know, there's enormous benefits to working with your family because you can manage the logistics of kids so much better because you both know what you're doing, but there's always the negatives. But in terms of the actual business itself, uh, the biggest challenges are always the people, but getting in the right people. Um, we are really strong on having the right people, having people we can trust, um, as I say, technical skills are crucial, but at the end of the day, they can be taught character really and about, you know, getting your work done on time, doing what you say you're going to do, being trustworthy to your clients. That's really what's been important to us. Um, our clients, we only have five or six clients, to be honest, because they're the rail operators or they're the tier ones that work with rail operators or they're the guys we partner with. And so we know all of our clients. We know them well. And as with anything, you only have to stuff up once for them to remember it, but the good work sometimes goes unnoticed. So you want to do good work every day. So having the right people and keeping the right people and holding on to them and and loving them and bringing in the right people, but getting the wrong people off as well. If they don't fit, don't try and hang on to them. That's interesting you mentioned that though, because I think we're in a labor market at the minute where Mm -hmm. everybody's scrambling for people, Mm -hmm. but not many people speak about the fact that the bad apples in the cart, you, you, you you still really have to get rid of them, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we are very much where we will, we are talking to candidates at the moment, or we talk to people who want to join us and they might be sitting on five or six offers. And so really they're interviewing us and I'd rather have no people than the wrong people. We've had our, our go at the wrong people and they make such a difference to the culture and the ethos of the organization. And every time you let that go past, you're saying to the other people, that's, that's okay. 
And You're setting the wrong precedent. Yeah, and yeah, that, that old saying of the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. If you let people but exhibit the wrong behaviours and miss deadlines or don't look after one another and don't back one another and don't work as a team, don't look after the client, don't do the best that they can do, then you're really saying to everybody else, you don't have to either. And, yeah. you know, that's the one thing we want to be known for. And we are known for is we stick at it, we get it done, and we, we come to a solution. Because rarely when you're looking at old stuff and you're dealing in rail projects, is it a straightforward solution? Really is the solution the client wants is the one that they end up with because there's always environmental factors, there's always age factors, there's so many different drivers of, of how you fix things that things change and you've got to be building that through relationships and you've got to build that through trust and authenticity. I would imagine for you guys as well, there's a lot of remote work. So people getting on um, is one thing you want people to get on, but sending two people that are at opposite ends of personality traits mm -hmm. or whatever it may be, and then sticking them in a remote area, looking at a bridge wouldn't be that good either. No, and we have a lot of guys who are away for a long time. You know, most of our rail infrastructure isn't in the metropolitan area. For goods to get from Melbourne to Perth, they've got to go over a lot of track. Um, and the same Melbourne to Brisbane, you know, last year we had two guys who jumped in a in a high rail, which is a, effectively a land cruiser that has rail attachments to it so it can go on the track. So we had a 60-year-old rail safe worker and a 30-year-old engineer who was an inspector and they sat in a high rail together without seeing another person for five weeks. And so going along the track, you need those two guys to actually find a way to get on and you yeah. really want them to care about the work that they do and you couldn't find two more passionate people and yet such different life, such different life. Ross is a a six-year-old safe worker who's almost lived entirely in, in rural um, South Australia. And Alan grew up in, in Japan and, and came out here as an engineer and started with us and an intern. And so yep. he went in I-Rail across the Nullarbor with Ross and the two of them worked together for a really long time. And it was something really special to see the two of them, 1,600 kilometres of track. So, so do you guys have techniques or things that you develop to try and identify the people that you want really early on in the uh, interviewing process or anything like that? You, you're saying that the people's character and what they're like mm -hmm. and their attributes are so important, but, mm -hmm. but how do you figure that out as early on as you can? Because you don't want to send that person on the 1600k <laughs> trip and then work out halfway through that, oh, hang on, we made a mistake. And we'd really sense, we would never ever send somebody on that kind of work without knowing that that's what they wanted to do and knowing them pretty well. And uh, we know Ross and Alan pretty well, both of them had we've been working with for for multiple years. I think there are some people who come to us um, expecting one thing and, and learning another. So people learn about themselves. We have people who come to us and say, no, 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 I really like inspecting. I love being in the outdoors. I really like being, you know, in Broken Hill and doing Broken Hill to Sydney and, and dealing with that. And then after a while, they realise actually being away from the missus or being away from the family is just too hard. We've also established through COVID, it was very, very difficult when we realised that we had five different countries, not one country and five states, where the borders were so tricky. We had people who couldn't come home. We had guys who were out of state for, for three, four, five months at a time and couldn't come home because the requirement to isolate and to, but every time you crossed a border meant that it was just too hard. So we've really learnt a lot over the COVID period around the isolation, how we best manage people, how we look after them, how we give them the right breaks, how we give them the right technology. How do we, you know, how do we make sure that we're giving them as much time at home as they can get and so that they're 
doing the work while they're away. It's it's really about people and it's about people care and it's about caring for the family, not just about the the individual. You know, I have to care just as much about our inspector's wife and his kids as almost as much as I do about him because, you know, he's giving a lot to be away for so much of his life. Yeah. So looking back with the, when you were starting the business or taking the business over, if, what would you do different, if anything, if you were doing it all over again? You know, I've been, I've been thinking about this over the last um, few months when we, you know, as you reflect as we're going through our new budgeting period and you think about your next five-year vision and you do all that kind of stuff about what could we, what would we have done differently and what would I think. And I, and I reckon... I reckon we've made a lot of mistakes, but it's those mistakes where we learnt the most. It's where we trusted people we shouldn't have, where we took on contracts that were either too big, where we didn't take the risks that we should have. But then you look at the ones where we started off as a 50 grand job and ended up being a $6 million job, that if you'd gone in and you knew it was a $6 million job, you would never would have gone anywhere near it. And so it's, it's kind of all of those opportunities, those mistakes, those learnings that it's actually made us who we are today. So would I do anything different? Probably I'd manage the family relationship a bit different. We might be a bit smarter <laughs> about working <laughs> together as a family. Um, I think we would have, you know, I'd love to say we wouldn't have hired this person or we wouldn't have taken that job or we would have done this differently or we would have done that. But all of those things have made us who we are. And we're not in this business to make a quick profit and then to get out again. We're here for, for the long haul. And we want to invest in it over time. And it's only those those hard things that make the good things more special. Yeah. So what about, how's your hiring processes and, and how you attract and retain talent changed from when you started to where you are now? Because the, the landscape shifted, hadn't it? You know, like you said, mm. uh, job seekers are just about interviewing you rather yeah. than, you know, maybe how it was 20 years ago. Yeah. When we started the business, we had six permanent employees um, with a few casuals and now I've got 250 employees. And so, you know, you don't know everyone. Where you once were a family business, everyone knew everybody and, and we hired people very much on personal recommendation. Um, so we hired friends of friends, we hired family members, we hired friends of friends of friends, we hired all sorts of people. We rarely hired on anything other than a recommendation, which was always really successful. Now we've obviously had to go to very different methods and using Seek or using um, recruitment consultants or using different people. We still... Or generally, it's very rare that one of the, we hire somebody where one of the the owners hasn't interviewed them. We want to know. We want we want to know who's who's holding the risk when we're dealing with rail infrastructure. We're keeping communities safe, and so we want to know and look them in the eye and know that they take that as seriously as we do. Um, but you know, we just keep adapting. We've now got an HR department. We can't couldn't have imagined that <laughs> we would need HR people, but we now have an HR manager. We have we have HR people who help us be better at looking at people, caring for our people. We deal with a lot of recruitment consultants. We actually have the head of a recruitment consultant on our advisory board just to help us manage people well and to know what's important to people and make sure we're really at the edge of, of knowing what people care for every day. Yeah, because I think I had the conversation with somebody else. We can't do all this remote work stuff you know some of the office people can can do remote working mm -hmm. and but this industry we can't go and inspect rail from from our computer or, no. or do a subdivision from our computer so you can't replace a deck yeah. you can't replace a deck sitting in an office and you need people no. who are prepared to get out there and who are prepared to work nights you know rail stops you got to work when the rail's not going 
And so that doesn't mean that you work from nine to five. You're not sitting at a comfy desk. You're actually out there. You're getting dirty. You're fixing stuff. And so finding people who want to do that, and there are people out there who want to do it, but finding those people who do that with a smile and want to come back and they want to, you know, they want to be the guy on the, on the bobcat. They want to fix those piers. They want to, they want to do that efficiently. You know, we have guys up in Queensland who replace culvert after culvert after culvert. And for some people that'd go, wow, how can that be interesting? We're just replacing culverts. And yet the opportunities of improvement and technology and, and, and making a difference is, is really what they love. Like they love it. Yeah. And it's like you said, finding those people is, is going to be the biggest challenge Mm -hmm. moving forward. And Mm -hmm. because schools seem to be pushing university as one of the only options to be successful, which I don't agree with, but without the people to physically do the work, Mm -hmm. we're stuffed. Mm -hmm. We are stuffed. And constantly trying to change and evolve to make sure that those jobs are interesting and we're attracting enough people coming in at the bottom of the industry to, to make up for the people that are moving towards retirement, you know, quite, quite rapidly. Cause we've got a lot of people moving towards retirement mm-hmm. and we haven't at this point got enough people coming in to make up for the people that are leaving. So somehow we, we got to figure out a way to, to sell the industry better than maybe what we're doing. Yeah. And, and if I look at our organization, I would say that there's probably 30% have been to university, 40%. So, um, and if I'm honest, it's the 60% who haven't been to university who are getting out there and working on track that are actually earning the most because they're prepared to work the night shifts and prepared to work the weekends and, and get all the allowances and the, and the overtime that comes with that. And they're living a really good life, making a huge difference to their community, just getting in and doing stuff. And so whether it's a safe worker, whether it's a, a labourer, whether it's a construction manager, whether it's a site superintendent, these guys are out there every day in the field earning good money, doing really good work. Um, and many of them are based regionally. They're based regionally, they work in the regional areas and they come to us and we give them really good work. That's awesome. Um, so is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think might benefit the audience today? Oh, look, I, I think we've probably touched on most things. And, but the one thing I would say is that when you're growing a business, be curious, you know, go and, go and find things. Spend time with people you like spending time with. People talk about business development and having coffees. Have coffees and, and do business development with people you like. Ring people you're interested in. Spend time with people you're interested in. And particularly, don't do business development. Don't be fake. Always be authentic. Always work on those relationships. We're all sort of 30, 40 years in, in, in a work life and, and, and we bring our work home more and more. And so spend time with people that interest you. Spend time with people that are fun. You know, we as our, our business, we work on the three Fs, you know. Every, every piece of work we do, it's got to bring us fun, fame or fortune. And so sometimes there's two, we've always got to have two of them. So some of them aren't going to make us money, but they're going to be a whole lot of fun and they might bring us a, some good brand. Sometimes they're really fun and they might make us money, but they're not very good for our brand. But, you know, fun is really important in business. Relationships are really important. And every day be yourself, be authentic, and people will buy that. So I always like to close the show out with trying to, you know, these conversations can get quite in depth, but, um, what's a weird or interesting thing, um, about you that most people probably don't know? Well, you know, I suppose the, the weirdest thing right now is that I'm sitting here with no right hamstring. So I, I play a lot of sport and, um, went for a catch in a grand final, a a couple of weeks ago and, and tore my hamstring fully off the bone. So I've now got to go into surgery and I've got nine to 12 months of rehab in front of me, which is weird. It's fun. It's frustrating. It, it's all those things. It's painful. 
But um, it'll test my patience. Let's go with that. And um, I don't Is it think... weird that my hamstring hurts just hearing about it? <laughs> it's like when someone talks about lice when you've got kids, all of a sudden your head itches. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, um, you know, I want to stay active and I want to keep doing things. And so I'm just going to have to go in and go under the knife and, and actually get my right hamstring reattached, which is a quite yeah. an odd thing to think about. Yeah, no, I'm not going to think about it. Like I said, my <laughs> stomach's not built for those sort of sort of images. Um, so this has all been really fun. I've enjoyed chatting with you. Where can people connect with you and learn more about the business online and, and just get in touch if they want to learn more? Yeah, they can get in certainly through LinkedIn. We've got a pretty strong LinkedIn presence, both through as an, both me as an individual and our and our other owners and and through the businesses. Obviously, we have a, a pretty dynamic website. Um, brings in all our recent projects. Uh, working through that. I spent a, a bit of time at rail conferences, a lot of time in, in rail um, infrastructure. I present every so often. Um, so, you know, there's there's many different ways, but I'd love an email. Just get in touch anytime. Love a chat. If you're starting a business or you want to get more into rail or if you want to buy our services, all of those things are interesting to me. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time. Um, have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Jordan. Good chatting. You've been listening to the Crushing It in Construction podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player and it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to learn more about employer branding and recruitment marketing strategy, feel free to visit our website at moonshotmedia.com.au or reach out to me directly at jaskinner at moonshotmedia.com.au. Thanks again for listening and I'll speak to you in the next episode of Crushing It in Construction.